we stand for the reading of the scripture. And the scripture today is from Matthew chapter 17, 1 through 9, and 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 to 18. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, Suddenly, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered him, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Second Peter, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been witnesses of his majesty for he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A while ago, after worship, three old guys were talking. And one of them said to me, Jim, you ought to be up there, pointing to this area. Well, here I am. And you can blame George. And I, don't see, I can't even see George Fryer up there, but I can't see that far anyway, so. So you're safe to go to sleep, too, because I can't see that far. <laughs> Lately, like you, I would guess, I've had a lot on my mind. I've been thinking about Wesley Church and also our United Methodist denomination. What does the future hold? And then I thought back to the 1950s and late 1950s and 1960. Baker Church and First Church had merged under the leadership of Paul Stauffer. Well, those were days of faith and fear and anxiety. Will this merger work? A new building? Will people from both congregations attend church together and way out here in this meadow? There aren't many people living out here. What will the future bring? for the debt was a heavy one. Can we handle it? 
What about the years ahead? And some were spared, and some even left the church. And that has been our history. Indeed, the history of many churches. And I hasten to add the personal history of many of us. Fear and anxiety. Well, today I want to take you back <clears throat> to the same scripture PJ used so effectively in February when she spoke of transfiguration and transformation. I was moved by what she said and the suggestions she made, and it sent me to thinking. What about that event? And what about the disciples and Jesus? Now, it should be familiar to you by now. What happened on that mountain almost defies description. Jesus, Peter, James, John, on that mountain alone. Jesus apparently radically changed before their eyes. His face shone like the sun, the scriptures say. And Moses and Elijah were there. How? I don't know. Peter was so moved that he wanted to build memorials for them. And then the voice that went something like this. This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Well, that was enough. The disciples fell down. They were frightened. They were scared to death. And calmly Jesus spoke. Do not be afraid. Now, don't try to figure this out. You and I can't figure it out anyway. All we know was that this was a profoundly religious experience, a never-to-be-forgotten event for Jesus, for Peter, and for James and John. And somehow, it reaffirmed their faith. That was the result. And you know, that's what it did for the early church. It gave those early Christians new life and strength. Every time it was recalled, Peter recalled it later on, probably many times. It was important to Matthew and to Mark and to Peter. It was very important. And of course we're uncomfortable with it today. But forget about that. We don't have to explain everything anyway, and we can't. What we have to do is examine its context. Now, I want to say to you, if there's a pause, it's because I'm having trouble seeing. And I wish Aaron Krugel had a magic uh, wand for macular degeneration. But anyway, here we go. <clears throat> we need to examine its context, and we need to see if there are any messages there for us. And as we've already seen, that can take us in several different directions. Well, let's see, the occasion. It occurs just after Peter's moving confession at Caesarea Philippi. Remember, they were resting before the, beside the road, 
Maybe they were having a snack or something. Maybe one of those nice sweet rolls that PJ just showed us. I can almost taste it. And Jesus then speaks up and he says, who do men say that I am? And then, what about you? Are you getting it? Are you really getting it? Wow. Good old Peter responded for all. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And from that time on, the scriptures tell us, Jesus began to tell the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the seat of all the opposition, both civil and religious, to what he was preaching. And then I'm going to die there. What? What did he say? Jerusalem? Die? Did the disciples hear correctly? I'm going to die there? Well, think about that for a moment. Devastating news for the disciples. These 12 men had left everything to follow Jesus. They left their jobs, their homes, their friends, their family. They had been attracted, we think, by his magnetic godlike personality. Never before had they experienced anyone quite like him. He spoke with authority, such authority. He was so believable. They were convinced he was the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter had spoken for them all. And you know what? Jesus, they thought, was destined to be the leader, the future leader of Israel. And they would be part of his administration. Imagine that. That'd be pretty good. That's good politics. But things weren't going that way. Jesus seemed to always be clashing with the civil and the religious authorities, and they were beginning to lose hope. And now this devastating announcement, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die there. Well, that was it, the final straw. The writing was on the wall, clearly spelled out by Jesus. And they, they just did not understand. So they had to be discouraged, despondent, despairing, scared. They needed a lift. They needed a lift right then and there. They needed a spiritual boost. And some New Testament scholars tell us that Jesus had needs too. He was struggling with his mission, agonizing over what it seemed to mean, where it was taking him. Rejection the way, death the way, was there no escaping the cross? Jesus too needed a boost. Jesus needed reassurance before, before God wanted, he wanted the assurance from God that he should really go to Jerusalem. Did this make sense? No, not really. He wanted to be sure. So 
he climbed the mountain to ask the question, am I doing your will in going to Jerusalem? Indeed, that was the question Jesus, Jesus asked always, is this God's will? And so one day, along with three disciples, Jesus climbed partway up a mountain not too far from Caesarea Philippi. He did the thing that he always did when he had need, <clears throat> when he desired a word from God. He retreated for prayer. And evidently took along with him those men who most needed help at this point. The disciples and Jesus needed the reassurance that would move them on. And so did our mothers and fathers in the faith some 60 years ago. So does the church in every time. And so do we. So do we. The church has its times of fear or apprehension over the future. And so does each one of us. Our, we have our low times of despondency and yes, fear. We too have times when we have to move into a scary unknown, when we need a spiritual lift, a spiritual boost that will move us on with determination. You know, there's the unknown territory of a new building, of course, and a heavy debt. Will we ever be able to pay for it? Will people give enough? Some are already complaining. They're already giving more than they can afford. Are we biting off more than we should? How can we handle a building debt and an annual budget that keeps increasing? Oh yes, our mothers and our fathers in the faith, from Baker Church and from First Church the unknowns they faced, calling for reassurance. Now for every church today, there's also the unknown territory of the world in which we live. There's mass shootings and killings and terrorism and the war in Ukraine, all the uncertainty and then a culture seemingly opposed to organized religion and populated by persons with radically different ideas of morality. And medical and technical advances that are creating possibilities that stagger one's imagination and ethical system. Unknowns calling for reassurance. And then there's the annual conference and appointment time and PJ leaving, another change, a new pastor coming. What will the future be like? Can we continue to be a vital community of faith that reaches out to the needs of people? Can we reach out to the community in ministry? Will people come back to church, those who, ha who haven't returned to church since COVID? All unknowns calling for reassurance. And then we have our personal unknowns, don't we? There's the unknown territory of a serious illness or major surgery. All the fear and the anxiety it arouses in us. And then there's the unknown territory of losing one's job. How will the family make it? 
Will I be able to find another job? And then there's the unknown territory of facing life after the death of a loved one. Oh, how will I ever get over this? The house is so empty. Will I be able to make it on my own? On and on we could go, couldn't we? Who is there who has escaped? But think of it, to be human, to be human is to know brokenness. What will it be like at college, away from home for the first time? What will married life be like? Will our love last? What will parenting be like? Will I make a good mother, a good father? On and on it goes, doesn't it? Life is filled with uncharted territory. And like the saints of years ago, like our mothers and fathers in the faith, people grow scared, anxious, despondent, and at times they're immobilized. Like the disciples, they, we, need a spiritual lift, a boost, so we can move on. So, Jesus and the disciples climbed a mountain. Now, I'm not suggesting you go out right now and climb a mountain. But they climbed a mountain, and they had the experience of a lifetime. Christ transfigured before them. Whatever that meant, whatever the circumstances of this event, the three disciples came out more convinced than ever of Jesus' unique role, more courageous than ever, more prepared than ever for what lay ahead, according to some New Testament scholars. And so potent was this experience that Peter remembered it throughout his life. And later on, he recalls the time, and he writes about what we saw with our own eyes, Jesus resplendent with light from above. We can almost feel the strength in Peter. Well, they saw it, and they experienced the grace of God. They didn't understand it. Indeed, they were awestruck and scared. But suddenly it was well. All was well. And they could get on with the mission. And Jesus, convinced by the experience, headed for Jerusalem. His decision had been reaffirmed. Sealed by God, he was ready. He would move out, and suddenly for him too, it was well. And likewise for the church, in those moments of fear and apprehension over the future, filled with the unknowns, God comes to the church also, and suddenly it is well. The church is released from its fear and its despair, the church can move out, set its face with faith and determination towards the future. Get on with its mission. Suddenly it is well, all is well. Well, I submit that that was the experience of our mothers and fathers in the faith some 60 years ago. They received a spiritual boost. They received the reassurance they needed. They were lifted up and they were able to <coughs> build this beautiful building on Clinton Street. For them also, suddenly it was well. All was well. Friends, you know what that is? 
That's grace. That's the grace of God. That's the love that will not let us go. After that terrible event that occurred just after the marathon, 10 years ago tomorrow, Boston, we, the country, needed reassurance. Oh, how we needed it. And it came for some at the interfaith service at the cathedral. For others that came in their automobiles riding home. For others that came in a hospital bed. And for others that came much later on. But suddenly it was well. All was well. In our personal moments of fear or despair or depression, faced with the unknowns, God comes to us and suddenly it is well. All is well. And we can get on with our lives. Hasn't that been your experience? Think about it for a few minutes. I know it's been mine. A sudden release from fear through a friend, a loved one, a pastor, a counselor, a teacher, a physician, or perhaps during a quiet time alone, or maybe lying in bed trying to get to sleep, or maybe on a hike along a sandy beach, or on a mountain trail, or maybe at Sunday worship, or perhaps during a time of prayer in a small group as one touches the hand of the person beside one. Nothing seems to be happening, and then suddenly you're released. You know it. It is well. All is well. Oh, that love that love that will not let us go. Renewed faith for the disciples, renewed faith for God's people, renewed faith for each of us. Now at least two truths were the source of this renewed faith. One was was that the transfiguration kind of foretold the resurrection the Easter faith. Their fathers in the faith, Moses and Elijah, came to Jesus and told him to go on. Says one New Testament scholar, he had attained the victory over doubt and uncertainty. He felt himself to be at one with God. He was given the assurance of an ultimate triumph. Little wonder that he was transfigured before them. And the disciples shared in that confidence And so did the early church. No wonder it grew, for they had experienced something else. Jesus was confirmed to them as the Christ. Remember, they heard the voice, this is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. You know, Henry Nouwen reminds us that we, you too, are the God's beloved. So, beloved, when he says, your faith has made you whole, 
listen to him. When he says, love one another and love your neighbor, listen. And he says, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen. And when in the darkest moments he says, remember, I am with you always. Listen. Despair. Lack of faith. Things getting one down, one's down. And suddenly it is well. All is well. Listen. Listen. Listen for that love that will not let one go. Amen.